0: Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and study your word. We ask you to guide and lead us and direct us as we look at what you'd want us to learn from this section. In Jesus' name, amen. First Kings chapter 12. Uh, last week we saw the death of Solomon. First Kings chapter 12. We saw the death of Solomon um, because of Solomon's sin leading the people into idolatry he was told that his son would lose 10 of the tribes, that God would be gracious enough to leave David one tribe and then leave, him one, leave one tribe for Judah for David. Um, then Jeroboam was anointed to be the king of the, of the 10 tribes. And if you remember, Solomon then at that point tried, uh, did Saul's trick and tried to kill Jeroboam. He decided God made a promise and he was going to try to subvert God's promise. So we see the same thing that happened with David and Solomon happening with, uh, with David and, and Saul happening with Solomon's son Rehoboam and and uh, Jeroboam. So, and Solomon was not successful. Jeroboam ran to Egypt to hide, and Solomon never chased him to Egypt. So then Solomon died after 40 years of reigning, and then we get to take up the story. Jeroboam was promised that if he would honor God and follow him, he would have, as David did, he would have a dynasty. We're going to see that he didn't do a very good job at it in this chapter, if we get that far today. So, starting at verse 1. And Jeroboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke unto Jeroboam, saying, Your father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make you the grievous service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us lighter, and we will serve you. And he said unto them, Depart you for three days, then come again unto me. And the people departed. All right, so here we're seeing Rehoboam, Solomon's son, takes over as king. And easy transition, there's apparently no opposition to him from the family. And he's in Shechem, he's being, being anointed king by the people. And the people call to Jeroboam. Remember, Jeroboam's a leader. All right, He's, he's a leader, he has natural leadership skills, and God has anointed him. And the people call for him basically to be their spokesman for the, toward the new king. And they, he comes and they say to, they say to Rehobo, uh, Rehoboam, Your father taxed us to death and was making us serve a lot. Right? If you just lessen our burden, we will follow you. This seems like a no-brainer decision. Uh, Rehoboam is going to make a bad decision. Right? But the people come to him and say, would you just lighten our load? And this is something that happens. You know, all through the scripture we're told that leaders care for their people. Now Solomon seemed to care for his people, but, and he had goods flowing in, he had money flowing in, but he was using more money than he was bringing in, obviously, because he had to tax the people very heavily, and that's what was happening here. He was taxing them. Why? So he could build all the buildings and have the standing army and have all the buildings that he was doing and all the, all the public uh, projects that he was doing. And this happens to governments a lot. They keep, they keep building and building and building and building. And somebody has to pay the bill. And the people that pay the bill are the people who get taxed. And this is what they come. They go, hey, you know, if, you would just, if you would just make things easier for us, we will, we will gladly serve you. All right, and so he said, "Give me three days to decide." All right, verse six. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he lived, and said, "How do you advise that I answer this people?" And they spoken to him, saying, "If you will be the servant unto this people this day, and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever." But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him and he said unto them, What counsel give you that we should answer this people that have spoken unto us, saying, Make the yoke which my father did put on us lighter. And the young men that had grown up with him spoke and said unto him, Thus shall ye speak to this people that speak unto you, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but make... But make it lighter unto us, and thus you say, said unto them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. Good way to start your, start your rule. All right? People are asking you to be kind to them. Be their servant. You know, show that you care for them. And this is important for leaders to show that they care for those that are under them. Now, you can rule as a leader by title. And believe me, I've seen that done by a lot of people when I trained managers and watched them. I'm manager, you're going to do what I say. And they would end up losing a lot of their crew or having people get angry with them and having no problems. Or you can go in and care for your people. Solomon cared for his people to a degree, but over the years he just kept raising taxes. Ray Boehm has this opportunity to come in and uh, lower the taxes and quit making people work so hard. And Ray Boehm does a good thing at first. He consults with his dad's advisors and they tell him good counsel. Serve the people. Be kind to them. Cut the taxes. Let, Let things go. You know, be, be nice to them, let them know that you're on your side. And the problem is he had good advice. He got great advice, but he was a young man and they were old men. And he's looking at them and thinking, you old people don't know what you're talking about. And unfortunately, this happens a lot with young people. Young people oftentimes ignore the wisdom of the older people. Now, does that mean the older people are always right in their counsel? No, it just means they have a lot of wisdom under their belt and can give you something to at least pay attention to. And he looks at him and says, well, you guys are old, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, we think this generation gap is something new in our day and age, but it's always been there. All through Scripture, we see that people, the young have not appreciated the old, and the old think that the young don't listen to them, which is generally true. And the young are looking at you guys don't know what you're talking about, I, I know better. You know, it's been amazing You know, as you watch kids. When kids are teenagers, all of a sudden their parents are the stupidest people that ever walked on this world. When they get into their 20s or 30s, the parents start getting older, and then when they start getting into their 30s or 40s, they realize their parents knew something. After they've messed up their life by not listening, and this is what he's doing, he's, this isn't his parents he's not listening to, but he's, His father's advisors give him very sage advice. Go ahead and cut their taxes. Quit working them to death and they're going to see that you care for them and they will be yours forever. He doesn't like that idea. Why? Well, when people first get promoted, a lot of time they go power hungry. I have a title. I'm going to make things happen because I've got a title. I've seen it over and over and over again and this is what Ray of Boreham's doing. He goes to his, his snotty-nosed kids that, that grew up with him and says, OK, what do you guys think? Hey, you need to show them who's boss. And that's what, that's what their message was. You need to show them who's boss. You know, They're asking you to be nice to them and, and, and lay low, and you need to show them who's boss. What a dangerous, dumb way to be to start out. Are there times when a man, somebody in charge has to be in charge and show them who's boss? Yes. Because you're boss. <laughs> do you start out that way? Do you immediately go, I'm going to be in charge and you know, I'm going to do this my way because? Not the wisest way to do it. And Ray Bone comes in, you say, you think my father was bad? Just wait. You're, you're, going to, you're going to wish that you had my father. My finger is going to be the size of his, his loins. Yeah. Not a very strong way to start out. You think he was bad, you just wait. He scourged you with whips, I'm going to use scorpions. You know, what, a, what a way to start out his rule with the people. And the people don't like it. Yeah, and you think about it, he's a king. The king should be able to get away with it. It's not a democracy where he's going to lose his job in a couple of years. He's king. But you can even as king, even with a title that is given to you, you can only go so far before the people will rebel. And here we're going to see the people rebel. They're going to say, fine, you want to be that way? We're going to follow this man who is anointed king anyway. Yeah. And you would have thought that Rehoboam may have been a little more gentle because he already knows by the prophecy, I'm sure he understood the prophecy that his father probably told him, you know, ten of these tribes are going to disappear. If somebody had told me that, I would have repented before God and, and tried to get things right with God and tried to see if he would give me Mercy, so it didn't happen in my day and Ray Boehm isn't going to take that route. He is going to be independent and obnoxious And this is something we have to be careful. Jesus taught that a, a leader serves his people and That's what true leaders do. They serve their people. They care about their people now again That doesn't mean they don't know how to be boss there are times, you know, when I was a manager, usually I told people why we were doing something, asked them nicely to do something. But there were also times when I just told them to do it. And they knew who was boss. Because I was boss, I had the title, and they knew that I was in charge. I didn't have to lord it over them all the time. Usually I was very nice and kind and, and worked with them, but there were times when I just said do it because I said so. But you don't usually start that way. That's not the way to, to, to begin. And Rehoboam is going to be that way, and he takes the wrong advice. And this is important for us. Who do we listen to for advice? Are we listening to godly, biblical advice, or are we listening to worldly advice? His original advice from the older, older men was good, godly advice. If he had followed that, things would have gone a lot better for him. He followed the world's advice. And this is important for us. As we give advice, what kind of advice do we give people? Do we set our advice on God's word or do we follow the world? And believe me, I've seen lots of good Christian people give worldly advice to people. And it's like, where did you get that advice? It sounds really good. This is what sociology and psychology would tell you, but it's not what God says to do. And you get somebody saying, "Well, I marriages and all kinds of all, just leave them, get divorced." Uh, let's see. Was there was there fornication? Uh, was there adultery involved? Nope. Wrong, but wrong, wrong advice. But even with adultery, God gives the option of divorce, but He doesn't make say it is what you must do. Mercy and grace says, "Do everything you can to protect that marriage." And yet, over and over again, people will say, ah, they don't deserve, they don't deserve you. Well, that's true, they don't, but that, what has that got to do with following God's word? And this is the beauty of it. So many times we make it all about us in our life. I'm not happy with the way things are going. I'm going to fix it. Well, show me the verse that God said I'm supposed to be happy in the first place. He says he'll give me joy. He says he'll walk with me through the trials, but he never promised me that I was going to ha- walk in a rose garden and have a wonderful time. Matter of fact, he promised me trials and tribulations. So we need to look and say, God, where am I with your word? And Ray Rehoboam's not going to follow that way. He's boss, and he's going to show him who's boss. And it's, he's going to walk right into the prophecy and fulfill the prophecy and it's kind of an interesting thing when God prophesies things sometimes you say oh wow I see exactly how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled it's getting interesting the closer we get to the end days the more we can see how the prophecies of the end days are going to be can be accomplished we're working to one world toward one world government matter of fact we're having people clamor for it now with this COVID stuff going on we need some great leader to come and rescue us from this dreadly disease. And we're hearing him clamor. Is this the time for it? I don't think so. I don't think we're there yet. But it's the stage. The stage is being set. People want a great leader to protect us. We, we have a working to one, one world government uh, currency. We're getting close to that. A cashless society, we are darn close to that. Matter of fact, right now, supposedly, we have a coin shortage out there, so they're trying to push us into using debit cards. I'm not sure that there's a coin shortage, but it makes a good excuse. You know, the money's dirty, we've got to pull it out so that nobody gets sick because of the money, and by the way, just use, just use your debit cards. You know, we, don't, we don't want you using cash anyway. So it works out great for the fulfillment of the scriptures. And it's kind of funny. We see the church being persecuted by our governments, all in the name of protecting people. And we see, and we're looking at it, and more and more we see how the end times prophecies are being lined up for fulfillment. It tells us that there's going to be diseases in the end days that we can't conquer. I don't think that COVID is one of those, but we've seen diseases that are harder and harder for us to get get our hands around. And we're seeing the prophecies being fulfilled and we're seeing so close we're sitting right there are we at the end days I don't know that we're at the end days but we're see- we're right at the edge of the end days and everything is starting to be where we can see it happening you know, there used to be that we could not see one world government it didn't made no sense now we're having people want it one world currency if we're not there already, because once you're on the electronic currency, who knows what you're really trading in your trading units? We could, at the, at the highest levels, we could already be at a one-world currency without realizing it. You know, having a one-world government, having a cashless society. Most of us don't handle cash very often. Yeah, I I rarely touch cash, you know, and I haven't for a long time. You know, and I know that that leads to the cashless society of the. Feb- over all that but you know it, it doesn't bother me my using it or not using it isn't going to make it happen any sooner but the government's got one day is gonna say no more cash it's just around the corner and with something like the COVID has been big deal Well, the money is dirty well we've known money is dirty all along it gets infected it has it has germs on it it has dr- drugs on it it's, it's something you don't want to necessarily use and eventually we'll probably be shut down for just that reason that are because they're afraid of it being counterfeited. So we're moving that way, and it's going to happen. We are going to have a one world government. And the people are asking for it. And it's like, wow, God, you, you said it was coming. And people don't even realize that they're fulfilling scripture in the process. And so here we see, Jeroboam was told, you're going to lose 10 tribes. I'm giving them to Jeroboam. And he does something that's going to make the people want to leave. Uh, if he had, had any inkling of what he was doing, he would not have done this. If he wasn't as proud or as arrogant as his young friends knew him to be and played into, he would not have done this and lost his ten tribes. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful. Pride goes before destruction. and. Rehoboam is extremely proud. He's going to say, Well, you think my dad's bad? You just wait. I'm going to show you who's in charge. Even though the prophecy said you're going to lose your kingdom. And he never even thinks about this. And again, for us, when we read God's word, are we really taking it to heart? Do we look at his word and say, God, I want to follow you? Or do we do things our own way and wonder why things are happening? This is an amazing thing. We often we keep doing things our way, thinking we're right, and then see that God's ways were right, and wonder how we got there. And then, what do, what do most people do, and in including us? We blame God. God, how could you have let this happen? And God says, Well, you you violated all of my scriptures, all of my rules, and you didn't know that this was going to happen. You did not expect. The consequence of your actions being in violation of me to happen, and oftentimes we do that—we make all the mistakes and then blame God. And the world always, does, almost always, does it. God is all your fault. I just don't understand how you could let this happen. Yes, I drank all my money away, and I, used, and, I and I smoked all my, all, all my money away, and then I used drugs and lost all of them. But I can't really understand how I lost my house and my family left me. Yeah, they just don't draw the two together. And, you know, well, there's consequences. There's consequences to what we do, and yet many times we get to the consequences and blame God. God, it's all your fault. And we need to be careful about that. When we do wrong, the consequences are going to come, and we need to understand that it's my fault that they're there. Not God's. You know, God says there's consequences for sin. We reap what we sow. We just forget that we sowed what, we, what we're reaping. And then we turn around and blame the, the one who provided for the, for the harvest and say it was all his fault. And he says, no, you sowed the seed. And we need to be careful about that and understand. And this is also when we're talking to other people. When people are going through hard times, many times they're reaping what they've sowed. Now are they always? Now we've got to be careful about this because Job's friends were were a great example. They said, Job, you deserve what you got. We know that Job did not. But we look at somebody and and the question is, are you reaping what you sowed? And, And probably more often than not, they are. It's not for us to criticize them, but we might point out and ask them, did you do anything that deserves this? And make them think. Not as their judge, not a critical way, but You know, hey, did you did you do things that deserve the the reaping that you're getting? And if they say no, then you accept it and love them and build them up. Because God is still in control. And that's the great thing. God was still in control of Job's life, even when everything looked like it was going wrong. And Job pretty much honored God until he got hammered for weeks or months by his wonderful friends telling him how bad he was. So we need to be careful just a simple question you know well hey, you you were doing these things you know do you think maybe those were were the, the cause of your problems try to make them think without judging them and if they say no don't worry about it just pray for them love them if it is reaping what they're sowing then God's going to get their attention eventually if they're his child he's going to get their attention if they're not he's going to bring them down to the pit and they're still going to change and recognize that it's their fault and that's the whole purpose of the hard times God wants to drag us down in the middle of the pit so that we'll go, Oh God, yeah, you know, God, it is my fault. I surrender and repent. If we're smart, we repent early. If we're foolish, we wait till God drags us in the middle of the gutter and runs over us a few times with a car and cars and people, and finally give up. God wins in the long run. Our question is how long do I want to fight with him? Now, and this is where maturity comes in and says, "God, you know, uh, I, I repent early." And God says, "Okay, good. I've got mercy for you." We wait until we are in the gutter and being tramped on and walked on, and, God, and then we repent. God says, "Okay, good. Here we go. We're going we're to reward you. We're going to reward your repentance." We get to repent no matter what. The question is, how far down into the gutter and how much am I going to be stomped on before I finally surrender? And this is important. is going to go way down before he surrenders. And he technically never surrenders. All right, verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come unto me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him. And he spoke to them after the counsel of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chaste, chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for for the cause was from the Lord, but that he might perform the same which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the, Sh- the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nabal. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered to the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to, to your tents. O Israel, now see to your own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. And King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died, Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up with his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. All right. They gather together. Jeroboam, the anointed king of ten tribes, is with them. They go and talk to him, and he speaks crazy and same things to them. You know, he gets nasty with them and says, so You think, you know, and it says he, speaks, he spoke roughly. You think my dad was bad? I'm going to be worse. And it said in verse 15, "Therefore the king hearkened not on the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying." Basically, it's saying God, because Rehoboam was hardening his heart, God completed the hardening. Right? He was not willing to bow his heart to God, and God said, "Fine, you go ahead and and get worse." We see this over and over in the scriptures. Pharaoh hardened his heart during the Exodus and after a while God said okay he hardened Pharaoh's heart to make sure that what he said was going to happen happened as we enter into the end days God is going to harden the world's leaders hearts toward him to make sure what he says happens you know why God's sovereign you know God will get his way when people want to harden their hearts God will complete the job. If they want to respond to him, he'll help them respond. But God will always get his way. He is sovereign. This is something people don't like to think about God. But God knows the beginning and the end. God's will will be done. Proverbs tells us that he turns the heart of the king. He turns the rivers. He turns history the way he wants it to turn. And he moves people. And when he decides something's going to happen, Rehoboam's going to lose 10 tribes and Jeroboam's going to be king, it happens. And Rehoboam has the attitude that he's going to not be a leader, a, a, a servant to his people. God helps him get even worse and make sure, to make sure it doesn't happen. We need to be able to understand that. Again, it comes down to the idea when we look at the lost world, We should never be surprised that the lost world does not obey God. It is in their nature to disobey God. Matter of fact, if they obey God, it's a supernatural thing that they're obeying God. The sad thing is when Christians disobey God, they shouldn't be because they're new creations. And yet, I've said it over and over again, I'm never surprised when the lost disobey, and I'm disappointed even though I'm not surprised when this when Christians disobey because Christians still have a sin nature and if they're not determined to follow God they will do something that's wrong how does that mean that we treat them do we go and attack them and and brutalize them for their disobedience Well, for the lost world they are prisoners they are slaves to their sin nature they pretty much have no other option they are going to sin they are going to choose the wrong way. My job is not to judge them. My job is to give them grace, give them the message of the gospel. If it's a Christian making the wrong decisions, my job is still to love them. Still, now I'm going to edify them. I may encourage them, especially if I'm a friend of them. I may encourage them. You might, you might want to follow God. You might pay attention to God. And I'll pray for them. Put them in God's hands. One of the scariest things to do is put somebody into God's hands, especially if you've got a son or daughter that you want to see come to Christ. You put them in God's hands and then let God do what he wants to do. And that is hard, especially for a parent when God is saying, I'm going to run your child through the the mill because they're rejecting me and you watch their whole life fall apart. And you're going, oh, I just want to help them. And God's saying, let them alone. Too many times, parents save their children out of what God's trying to do to get them to turn to him. Why? Because we love our kids, and we don't want to see them hurt. But if they weren't making the decisions that they were making, they wouldn't be getting hurt. And we have to let them fall on their face. One of the hardest things I had to learn as a training manager was when I put somebody in charge was to let them get into trouble before I rescued them. See how they were going to handle the pressure of things falling around, uh, around them. Not so bad that it would hurt my business, but I had to see what they would do as things got bad. Because eventually, they weren't going to have me there. I had to know what, what decisions they were going to make. We need to do this with our kids sometimes. We need to do this with our friends that we want to see saved. Let them get run through the pepper mill and get crushed. Because then they'll turn to God. Maybe. If we rescue them, oh, you're almost in the brain. Let me pull you out of the, the mire, And I rescue them, I just made myself God in their life. And I'm going, okay, mom and dad's going to rescue me. When things get bad, mom and dad are going to rescue me. And it's hard. I know. It's very hard to let your kids get chewed up by the consequences of their sin. And yet there's times when we must do that. Ray gonna face that time. He's gonna get chewed up because of his bad decisions. He listened to the wrong counsel. And this is important for us. Who do we listen to for counsel? Are we getting good, godly counsel? And all of us need somebody in our life to give us counsel. And it's important for us to know who that, who that is. And we can't have too many counselors because yes, there's, there's great uh, comfort in, in many counselors, but you also have to have the right counselors. If I have a hundred counselors and more than eighty percent of them are, are real counsel worldly counselors, I need to get rid of eighty percent of my counselors and listen to the twenty percent of the good ones. We need to be careful who is speaking into our life with advice. Is it good advice? Is it godly advice? And uh, the problem is godly advice does not sound good a lot of times to us. Because if we're stuck in our world frame of mind, godly advice sounds crazy. I'm the leader. You, you say I need to be nice to them and be, and, and be a servant? That doesn't make any sense. Ah, these guys are telling me, you know, tell them who's boss. Not good counsel. Not biblical counsel. So we want to be careful. What kind of counsel are we listening to? So the people come to him, and he spoke roughly to them, and they said, fine. Who is David to the rest of us? Who is Jesse? What, you know, what, what do you think, who do you think you are, basically? You know, we are 10 tribes. You know, we are the 10 tribes, of, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and you think you're better than us? And that's basically what they said. We asked for a king, and you think you're better than us? We asked for it, and you're going to be this way? We won't follow you anymore. And they turned to Jeroboam to fulfill the prophecy. The prophecy, and I don't know how many people knew about the prophecy and how many people didn't know. Because the Bible doesn't tell us about this. We know that Solomon knew about the prophecy. He chased Jeroboam out of Israel. Alright? Did Rehoboam know about it? I don't know. Did the people know about it? We don't know. There's been a time frame going on here, so we don't know. How many people, just as we don't know in David's day, how many people knew that David was anointed king? It, we don't know because we're never told. But the people are working on God's behalf. Here is, here is a leader. He has stood up, he has gone to the king to make this very just request. Lessen our burden and we will gladly follow you. They've been rebuffed, and he is their leader, says so fine. Let's, we're going to, we're going to, to part. We're going to we're going to take off. He at least knows that he's been anointed king. He has not tried to kill Rehoboam. He has he's followed David in many ways. This is kind of a we had Saul and David. Now we have Solomon and 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 Jeroboam with just the same thing. Solomon's playing Saul's role, and Jeroboam's playing David's role of anointed king waiting for his turn. Except in this case. Rehoboam was not having to die before he takes over. Jeroboam's taking, taking ten tribes. Because that was what the prophecy said. That he wasn't going to get the entire, entire nation. He was only going to get ten tribes. And so we're going to see this pro- process work out. Again, God's ways always happen. And Do you remember what that prophecy is? For Jeroboam and Rehoboam? Um... Chapter 11. First King? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Starting at verse 28, working your way down to 36. Yep. That, that's the prophecy that he was going to get 10 tribes. And then from there, it's talked about Solomon chasing him and trying to kill him. And then Solomon dies. All hey, right, Verse 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What, what portion do we have in David? I'm sorry, with this? So they're saying, you know, hey, who are you? Basically, who do you think you are, Rehoboam? You know, you think you're, you think you're something special? And they, they decided to leave Shechem and go back to their tents. And they said, you know, hey, you think you're, you think, basically they say, you think you're something special? We're going to see what, what's going to happen. And this happens and I've seen this happen in business world. Somebody gets to be a manager, especially a manager. I mean it's system manager or lower, you can kinda a good manager can smooth the feathers over and get things. But somebody gets promoted to manager and acts this way, they can lose their crew. Because people do just with these guys. Who do you think you are? You know, you just somebody that gives us gives us some hours and some pay and rebel against you. All right? And they said, Who are you? and they departed. And it says, as for the children of Israel that dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them, just as it was predi- predicted. He was going to rule over Judah, because Judah is David's, David's uh, tribe. So the tribe of David says, OK, our, 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 our relative is leading. We're going we're gonna to keep fo- following him. He, he was a big jerk about his way to start, but we're going to follow him. <laughs> and the other tribe that stays with him, we're going to find out, is Benjamin. And that's kind of a surprising one that Benjamin stays with the tribe of, of Judah because Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Judah and Benjamin have always had problems all through David and, and Solomon's reign because there's a lot of Saul's descendants who think that they should be in charge. So, but for some reason, they stay with Judah and become the southern tribes. And then it says, So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So ten tribes called the, the Israel are going to re- rebel, and that's going to form the northern kingdom with ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, of, which is David's kingdom of Judah and Saul's kingdom, uh, a tribe of Benjamin, form the southern kingdom. And they're, and they, and they're called Judah. Now, the rest of the time through scriptures, we've got to be careful because both groups will be called Israel at time. but usually when they say Israel, they're talking about the northern tribe, but sometimes they're talking about both tribes, sometimes they're talking about just the southern tribes, so you have to read in context who, who they're talking about, and it gets very confusing sometimes, all right? Uh, because we have the northern tribes which are called Israel and sometimes the whole place is called Israel. And every once in a while they throw in the southern tribes and call them them Israel. So read in context whenever you read the word Israel that's referring to anything from this point forward. Verse 20. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again that they sent and called him unto the congregation, and made him king over all Israel. And there were none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, as he assembled all the house of Judah, with the tribe of Benjamin, a 180,000 chosen men, which were warriors, and fought against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of of God came unto Semariah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is for me. They hearkened therefore unto the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. All right. So the people of Israel, the northern tribes, called Jeroboam to be their king. He took over and Jeroboam runs to Jerusalem. He sees the handwriting on the wall. He's got very few men. But when he gets to Jerusalem, he also is going to decide he's going to fight against God. I have a feeling he knew the, the prophecy. All right? I am, you know, if he didn't, I'd be very surprised that his father didn't tell him that you know, the, the kingdom was going to go, you know, ten tribes were going to go to Jeroboam, but he's going to try to fight against God. The problem is you can never win when you're fighting against God. And this is something we have to understand. If God is against us, we're in trouble. If God is for us, there's nothing that can stop us. So Rehoboam calls out to Judah and to the tribe of Benjamin and gathers up an army. 180,000 men to go to war. He's ready to take back the people who don't want to be his. This is a civil war, all right? Because 10 twelfths of the nation disappeared. We have a civil war brewing. And he says, basically, I'm going to take my people back now he has a slight advantage he's king he's got a well-formed army now he lost all the northern army men but he has his generals he has his, his people all in line he's going to gather all of his men he's going to gather more men so he has an advantage if he goes to war at least he thinks he does he has a well-formed army that should win this battle he gathers them all together he gets ready to go to war He's going to force the ten tribes to be his. Now, when you think about this, it really sounds silly. God has prophesied that they're going to leave. He is going to go make them be part of his nation one way or the other. In spite of what God says, he's going to go make them be obedient to him. And I can tell you that he's probably also thinking that if he can make them be his, he's, he is really going to make them pay for trying to depart. This, even in America, that was the big battle after the Civil War. How nice are you going to be to the southern states? Are you going to make them pay for what they did, or are you going to bring them back? Abraham Lincoln was going to just bring the southern states back into the Union as states, just as they were before they left, which is probably why he was executed, because most people did not want that. They wanted the southern states to pay and pay dearly. And when he died, the northern states punished the southern states and made life miserable with them. They made them under military rule until they could prove that they were going to be good citizens of the north and paid back all the debt, war debt, which is why, even till recent years, the South hates hates the federal government because of the way they were treated after the war. Rebellen's planning to do this. He's going to make these people come back into line in this civil war, and he's probably, if he was to win, not going to be nice to them. All right, you guys thought you were going to break for me. I'm going to, you know, I was going to make you pay. Now you're really going to pay. And God spoke. He sent a prophet to talk to Reubben and to the people directly, and says, "Don't." go to war. This is my plan. Somebody's listening and decided they're going to leave. They said, Does it doesn't say that not paid any attention, but the people heard the prophet and went back home because God's will was going to happen. So they're all ready to go to war, and God says, no, you're not going to war. This is my plan. He goes, I meant for this to happen. This thing is from me. Go back home. And if they had not gone back home, they would have been beat because God had made the plan for this. He wasn't going to let it not happen. This was God's great mercy upon the people saying, send the people home. I don't want the bulk of 180,000 warriors of Judah dying because they would have died because God was against them. And if you've ever tried to work against God, you know how bad it can be in your life. When you disobey God and find out the problems that that's going to bring. All right, verse 25. And Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from then and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If these people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even unto Rehoboam the king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go, go to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt." And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before one, even unto Dan. And he made the ha- a house of high places, and made priest of the lowest people, which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast on the eighth month of the fifteenth day of the month to the feast of the Judah and he offered upon the altar so did he in Bethel sacrifice unto the calves that he had made and he placed in Bethel the high priest of the high places which he had made so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the 8th month even in the month which the, he had devised in his own heart and ordained a feast unto his children of Israel and he offered upon the altar the burnt incense alright God says don't go up because I have decided to do this remember Jeroboam had been promised if he honored God and followed God his kingdom was going to last so we see that his he builds up his capital in Shechem and he decides that the people can't go to Jerusalem to worship God because if they go to Jerusalem to worship God their heart might be drawn back to becoming unified with the northern kingdom, or the southern kingdom. So his answer to that is, we're going to create idols. And it's kind of interesting, he creates golden calves, which was the problem that the Israelites had in, at Mount Sinai. When they had left Egypt, when God had done the ten plagues, he had split the ocean, the, the sea and walked them through dry land, he had fed them water at, at Miram, he had given them manna to eat, and what did the people do when Moses went up on the hill and took a little longer than they thought he should be up there? They they asked Aaron to make them a god. And Aaron gave him the most stupid excuse of anything I've ever heard. When he told Moses, "I just they asked for a god, I threw, the, I threw the gold in the fire and out came this golden calf. He had nothing to do with molding it. He just put the gold in and out popped a golden calf. And we know that that's a lie. And the, Jeroboam's answer is, let's make golden calves. One, he puts in Bethel at the southern edge of his territory. The other he puts at Dan, which is at the northern end of his territory. And basically he says, hey people, these are your gods. Now remember, why did Rehoboam lose the kingdom? Because Solomon had already introduced all of this idolatry. The people were already preconditioned to worship idols. So Jeroboam comes and says, all right, fine, rather than rather than having to make the long trip to Jerusalem every year and he picks the same day that they're supposed to offer their sacrifice in Jerusalem to be his day in the Northern Kingdom he says I'm gonna make real easy you guys in the north all you gotta do is go to Dan you don't have to you don't have to go two weeks out two weeks to get to where, to Jerusalem so you can offer sacrifices you people in the, in the south, you're right there. You, you, you're right there at Bethel. You guys in the middle, choose which way you want to go, but you don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. because here's your God. He didn't obey God. God gave him a kingdom. He was going to be ruler. His children were going to be ruler. And yet he disobeyed God right from the beginning. You know, This is the sad thing. God gives people promises and how often do people disobey God and suffer? Now I'm not saying Jeroboam was a terrible bad king but he did build idolatry into the system. Idolatry of the golden calf is going to be the problem in the northern kingdom all the way until its destruction at the hands of Assyria. They're going to have golden calf worship at various times, they're going to have other, other, other gods that they worship, but golden calf worship is what they started with and what they end with. All through their time, they're going to have golden calf worship. Idolatry. They did not follow God. And you know, from the world's point of view, it was the right decision. You know, I don't want them to go to Jerusalem, because they might think that they need to follow the king of, of uh, Judah. He, from a world point, worldly point of view, he's making a good decision. From a spiritual point of view, he made the dumbest decision he could make. God had said, if you honor me, you'll have a kingdom. So the first thing he does is doesn't honor God. And he, we're going to see later on that he's going to lose his kingdom. And he sets it up on the eighth month, on the fifteenth day, which is this day that is special to God. And basically saying, Okay, choose your way. Now, we know that some people in that kingdom kept honoring God and would go to Jerusalem. Very few. When the whole world around you is doing the wrong, it's easy to follow the wrong. You have to make a decision to follow God and you know that those who are following God go, Why are you going all the way to Jerusalem? All you've got to go is is half the distance, you know, two or three days away and you can you can worship. That's not God. Just as in our day, it's getting harder and harder to follow God because people look at us and say, you, you believe in that book? That book that was written thousands of years ago, and you're going to put all of your hope on that book? Yeah, because every time I look at the book, it matches up to what, what God says. When God says something, we see it to be true. Well, I just don't see it. Well, you haven't read it very close. It's amazing to me how many people who do not believe God's word has never even read the book. They will tell you things like, it's full of con- all kinds of contradictions, and you go, where? Well, I don't know. I was just told. Have you ever read it? Nope. You might want to read it before you decide it's full of contradictions. I read it and say, wow, God, I see you everywhere. I I see you telling me just what we're facing today. People are going to make bad decisions. People are making stupid decisions. People are falling for lies. Why? because they're conditioned to follow the, the lies when you're living in your flesh your flesh will buy into the lies because they, the lies play on your pride because the lies when we're not walking with God is that I'm number one everything's about me the sad thing is when Christians think everything's about them you know and this gets us in trouble so often I just don't like that church. They're not singing the songs I want. They're not teaching the way I want them to be. They actually believe the book, and I feel bad when I leave church because they taught what the Bible says because it's all about them. We need to understand that nothing in our life is about us. Every bit of our life is about God, and the more we realize that, the better off our life is going to be doesn't mean life is going to be perfect When we're following God the world does not like us Jesus followed the father a hundred percent and what did the world do to him they put him on a cross and he said the world hated me they will hate you when we get persecuted we should be expecting it when times get hard we should be expecting it and yet it's so easy to say God why why am I having a hard time you know just as a song, you know, Charlie Brown. Why is everybody always picking on me? Well, because God says you're mine. And we're going to get picked on. And if we're not recognizing that we're his, and we live counter to the world. Jesus was a revolutionary in every sense of the word because he followed God in a world that was not following God. We, as his believers, especially in our day, are following God and our counter- to everything that's going on and people are going to look at us and say you guys are strange you guys are weird you know if you don't get if you don't believe the way we do we're going to put pressure on you and pressure comes and the further the world gets away from God the more pressure we're going to have on us and in one sense it is great to have the pressure it weeds out the tears it weeds out the people who aren't really following God it reads out the, Christian, the people who are Christian in name only and just there because it's OK to be God, be gods. Right now it's not. And we're seeing more people depart from the churches that believe in God. And because they quote unquote are Christians, they go to churches that don't believe in God, don't believe in his word. And that way they can still say, I'm a Christian. I go to, I go to church. Well, it would be nice if you didn't go to a church of golden calf, that you went to a church of God. Because there are a lot of golden calf churches out there. Lots of them. That don't teach God's word. Do not take a stand for God's word. And will tell you that you're okay following after your own way. And now those churches, I'm going to admit that they're golden calf churches. But they really are. Just do it your way. Just be a good person. If you do more good than bad, you'll end up in heaven. Because God is love. He would never punish anybody. Now there's lots of quote-unquote Christian churches that teach that. That don't teach the gospel. Do not teach follow God. And we now have two tribes of Israel, you know, two nations of Israel, neither one of them following God. Both of them following after idols. And God is left out in the middle with a remnant. Always remember, God always has a remnant of people. This is what he told Elijah. When Elijah complained, I'm the only one that hasn't bent the knees. And God says, shut up, go do what what I told you. I've got a remnant. God has always had a remnant. During the dark ages, when the Catholic Church was reigning over all of the world and not being good Christian teaching and following doctrine, there was still a remnant of believers out there following God. There's always a remnant. As we enter into the end days and more and more churches and people are walking away from God, there is a remnant. There's a small group of churches that are still preaching the gospel, asking people to live the way that God has asked them to live and holding up a standard. Even during the tribulation period, God is going to raise up an army to be a remnant. 144,000 Jewish evangelists to preach and they are going to build a remnant church at a time that's going to be hard to build because God has called his church away, and anybody who gets saved at that time is going to face death and I'm glad that's not going to be us God snatches us away and we get to enjoy a party in heaven but there is a remnant there's always a remnant There'll be a remnant that makes it all the way through the seven years of tribulation. And God says, here's my people that I'm protecting. The Jewish people that God is protecting. He hides them away and says, he protects that remnant. And they will be the bulk of the people that go into the uh, millennial kingdom as living souls to watch God rule, Jesus rule for a thousand years. But there's always a remnant. We need to be part of that remnant. We need to find good, solid churches that teach the Bible. We need to teach people the gospel message. We need to give good, godly counsel to people looking for counsel and work on this. There are lots of churches out there that are remnant churches, but we need to pray. When we're looking for a church, we pray and say, God, who is it that I'm going to go to? Who should I be going to? And we find a church that preaches and teaches the Bible not a golden calf church teaching man's ways. And Rehoboam is gone the, his father's way with idol worship, being arrogant and proud. Jeroboam has just the same pride streak in him. Can't let these people go to Jerusalem to worship God who gave me the, gave me the ten kingdoms and told me that if I honored him, I get to have my kingdom forever. We're going to worship golden calves. It is so amazing that people do what's right in their own eyes. And again, the lost can't do anything but do what's right in their own eyes. They have no power to do anything else. Occasionally, they'll do something good, but they'll do it for the wrong reasons. We as Christians, if we're not having God crucify our flesh, becoming a new creation and following him, we will do what's right in our own eyes and then get punished for it. We do not want to be a Jeroboam or a Rehoboam. We want to be a follower of God. We want to be like David. Seek God. Be repentant. Follow after what he has asked us to do. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Help us to always follow you and make decisions that are godly. Help us to accept you as our Lord and Savior. Follow you. Lord, that we admit that we're sinners and ask you to come in and clean our life and be living in us. And we just ask that you help each person
1: to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about Him. Today is the day to decide to become His child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says, The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this?